Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Will Summer. Welcome to The Daily Beast's Fever Dreams. I'm a politics reporter at The Daily Beast, and I'm currently working on a book about QAnon called Trust the Plan for HarperCollins coming out later this year. And I'm Kelly Weil. I am also a reporter at The Daily Beast, and I'm the author of the book Off the Edge, Flat Earthers, Conspiracy Culture, and Why People Will Believe Anything. On this podcast, we're going to take you on plunges into the sometimes hilarious, sometimes scary fanatics infecting the way that millions of Americans view the world and how they vote. Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, grifters, and influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. Welcome to Fever Dreams. This week, we're joined by guest host Anthony Fisher. He's a senior opinion editor at The Daily Beast. Anthony, welcome on board. I'm delighted to be here, Will. Thanks so much for having me. You know, I, I feel like we'll have a chance to talk about a lot of your hobby horses, your Jordan Petersons, your Tim Pools, all of sort of the characters in your menagerie. Yeah, I mean, well, it's a hobby, so why not put it to professional use, right? <laughs> That's a great idea. All right, first of all, have you heard this song that is currently number one on the iTunes charts? It's a song telling those liberals where they can stick it. It's John Rich's song, Progress. Have you heard this song? No, I have not. I've heard of it, and I, I, I hear it's the hottest thing that the kids are all raving about. Yeah, well, I don't know about the kids, but but maybe the young at heart. So this is John Rich of Big and Rich. And, you know, here on Fever Dreams, we like to talk about the conservative music that is successful and, and sometimes not so successful. Obviously, we've talked at length about the MAGA rapper Forgiato Blow. And now we've got John Rich of Big and Rich. He's got a song, and I have to say... You know, I, I listened to this song, and I, I thought the melody was, was pretty basic, and yet I found myself humming it a little bit later. So the song is getting massive promotion on Fox News. Uh, I think we can play a little segment from it here. Stick your progress where the sun don't shine. Keep your big mess away from me and mine. If you leave us alone, well, we'd all be just fine. But just to give folks a sense of the lyrics, here's the refrain. Stick your progress where the sun don't shine. Keep your big mess away from me and mine. If you leave us alone, we'll all be just fine. So that's sort of the the core message. But there's another lyric where he says, they bent us all over, but it's all over now. Because this is kind of the triumphant part of the message. Anthony, what do you think of this song? Well, I think William Faulkner is probably uh, wishing that he wrote (laughs) such a touching tribute to the the forgotten Southern working class man. (laughs) My my main impression is that it's just unbelievable that this subset of culture has been screaming for decades that everyone needs to get their politics out of their art, out of their entertainment, out of their sports. Really, that's, that's always been kind of a ridiculous notion. But when they get the opportunity to put politics into their art, this is the effort that is put into it. You know, there is no, there's no like poetry or subtle or metaphors. It's all just, you know, stick your wokeness where the sun don't shine. Bit of a crude metaphor, I should say. 
it also strikes me that there's kind of like two ways you can go with with a conservative song. You can either get like really in the weeds in a way that I think someone like Forgiato Blow gets into. And, and you know, this may be easier with rap because I think you're just like putting a lot more words out there. Sure. You know, and, and kind of getting on these very specific kind of like outrages of the week. Whereas Rich keeps it pretty simple. Progress. I mean, it, it, I do think it's no, it's notable he didn't say like stick your wokeness or like even stick your like progressiveness or whatever. Like he just does not want progress. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that's t- you talk about saying the quiet part loud, you know. Um, yes. And this is something that we I definitely intend to get to a little later. Is the recent reactionary sentiment really has been a violent uh, opposition to progress? Like it, it's it's uh, it's very much like the famous William F. Buckley line about I think it was William F. Buckley about standing at yeah. atop history, yelling stop as it has his definition of conservatism, which you know has been both you know praised and mocked over the years. But this is literally people who are just terrified of modernity and um you know forget about the future they're terrified of the present uh and i think that's a big part of the message if you're if you're literally saying progress is uh is something that's going to ruin our our great old us of a yeah and you know we see this in the music video he's driving an old muscle car he's standing a lot in fields um one thing that struck me about the chorus is the this idea that you see throughout conservative media is if you leave us alone we'll all be just fine it's like hey Hey, you crazy progressives, you know, stop pushing this stuff on us. And which I find to be a particularly ironic uh, argument in the time of, uh, you know, Roe v. Wade being overturned, all of these states losing their rights to uh, to ban guns or, or regulate guns at all. Um, you know, I mean, this is the, the right these days is going really far beyond uh, just sort of this this ideal like libertarianism. Leave John Rich to drive his Camaro up and down the back roads. You know, and, and yet I do think it's an appealing message. Totally. I mean, the, the, the right now they're trying to have it both ways, because for a, a, quite a while, uh, even social conservatives were kind of putting forth the idea that when it comes down to it, they're more libertarian. They don't really you know, they don't they might not approve of the quote unquote gay lifestyle but whatever, you know, as long as live and let live. And particularly in the in the Trump era, you know, they would regularly use their relative tolerance to the gay lifestyle to put them in opposition to, say, radical Islam. You know, like that that was a big part of Milo's whole shtick was that, you know, the reason I'm a conservative is because they, they'll stand up to the radical Muslims who will take away my rights as a gay man, even though I think he's not gay anymore. That's correct. Yeah, he, he, he's running. He's fundraising for a electroshock therapy place that uh, where the money may in, fa- in fact just disappear into milo's bank account he was always headed this way which is why it always blew my mind when uh when right before the conservative movement canceled milo uh he went on bill maher's show and bill maher referred to him as a younger alive christopher hitchens <laughs> that is brutal oh god yeah yeah but uh, but yeah again, to, to bring it back home um it was always a front they were never truly libertarian they were never truly live and let live they were always uh terrified of modernity, terrified of uh, increased acceptance of LGBTQ people. And the floodgates are kind of open now that uh, that the 6-3 majority on the Supreme Court has made it very clear that they're coming guns blazing. They're emboldened and it's created a bit of an awkward uh, situation for gay conservatives who, you know, have been telling themselves for years that after the Supreme Court legalized gay marriage on a federal level in 2015, that the issue was over, that they've, they've decided it's over. Eh, 
they were, it was never over for them. They just knew that they had no path to victory. Now they do. So it's it's back. You know, the other thing uh, I think is interesting about this song is, you know, whenever, whenever sometimes you see these, whether it's it's uh, bestseller lists um, or song charts, just the power that the Fox News audience has. So John Rich has been all over Fox News uh, pushing this song, which, you know, like I said, is not really the... I don't even think that's that good of a song, um, you know, taking the politics aside. And yet, I mean, the when you get on Fox News all the time, you're able to to just really sell move units. Uh, and, you know, sometimes that means you're like a third stringer on Fox and Friends. And, you know, you wrote a book summing up Wikipedia pages about great battles or something. And then, you know, you get that out there. Or in this case, uh, you know, John Rich can really push it. Um, so I think for me, you know, the, the reason I wanted to highlight this song is because this song will be playing, I'm sure, at Trump rallies, you know, for years and years and years. Move over, Lee Greenwood. It's time for <laughs> Progress by John Rich. Uh, it could be. I mean, so Lee, Lee Greenwood did the uh, I'm Proud to be an American. That was mm-hmm. his song, right? Mm-hmm. Which, I th- which I think, did that come out either right before or right during the, the first Gulf War in 1991? You are absolutely right, Anthony. Nice. All right. So it, it was a cultural touchstone. And um that was a period. I mean, you know, it's 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 amazing the the world we we live in now compared to that world because um, George H W Bush was considered absolutely unstoppable. You know, right after the Gulf War, he was so popular, uh, and then the kind of recession and his supposed uh, perceived indifference to the to uh, economic hardship was what kind of like opened the door to a populist like Ross Perot, which bled enough votes for him to for to lose to Bill Clinton. But a song like I'm proud to be an American. And then later in the the Iraq war, when Toby Keith had his you know song against the Dixie Chicks, which was huge for a minute, but didn't last the way Lee Greenwood's song has. This one kind of captures the conservative zeitgeist at the moment. I don't know that it's got the hook that Lee Greenwood's song has. That's, you know, real, you know, really like, you know, people that aren't overtly political could could hear Lee Greenwood's song and be okay with it being played at a state fair on the 4th of July or something like that. It wasn't as overtly political, even if it was kind of co-opted by people who were using it for that purpose. A song like Progress, a song like uh, John Rich's song, don't know if it's got that universality, but I guess time will tell. Does it have the staying power? We shall see. I, I think that's a great point. Okay. All right. On another topic, the first of the InfoWars trials over Alex Jones's accusations that the Sandy Hook shooting was a false flag are, are kicking off this week. Uh, as we're recording, actually, I think they're doing the opening statements in the first trial in Texas uh, with another two trials to come this fall. So now, finally, I, I, I think what's notable here for us is that finally, one of these cases of um, you know internet conspiracy theories and the way that, the, that these things have ruined people's lives is making it to trial. Anthony, what do you make of all this and what are you expecting to see? Well, I don't know what I'm expecting to see because this is he's such a he's such a wild card and, you know, I, I think in the past he, he or his allies have done stuff like, you know, have health scares that that, you know, suddenly stop court proceedings in their tracks and there, there's always the chance like of a last minute settlement that, you know, ends the the inquest. Right. I mean, you know, you mentioned the health health scare here. Memorably, this is was the case where, you know, all the attorneys flew down or, or it, it, this is kind of, a, I guess, the Connecticut case, but all the attorneys flew down to Texas to depose him. Then he didn't show up and said, oh, I have this health incident, uh, but it was very vague about it and then went on to host his show at the same time. So, you, you know, he's always got these tactics to pull out. My big macro take about Alex Jones and, and uh, the fact that he's belatedly 
sort of being held account for the things he's done is that I get more more frustrated than uh, about uh, the people who are not quite as sick and cruel and insane as him kind of downplaying how sick and insane and cruel he is. And I speak of people like Joe Rogan, Tim Pool, any number of uh, slightly more mainstream edgelordy type podcasters with massive audiences who will continue to have Alex Jones on, maybe pepper him with a couple of questions about, uh, oh, that crazy Sandy Hook stuff you used to say. And Alex Jones will be like, yeah, I said that and I moved on from it. Can everybody else move on? And then everybody LOLs and they position him as this kind of performance artist clown who is beloved by his audience. And everyone once in a while, like, you know, like a stopped clock being correct twice a day. He has some kind of insane rant that has a, a hint of truth to it. You know, I, I'm struggling to even think of one right now, but, you know, people like Joe Rogan or Tim Pool will then pull out those things and be like, see, Alex Jones was right about this one thing. And then they'll stretch that to Alex Jones is more right than he's been wrong. <laughs> and uh, it goes on and on that way. And I just like always want to like put my hands up like a referee and make a T sign and say time out. Actually, this guy has under oath <laughs> admitted that he's a performance artist, that he's a liar, that he doesn't believe the things he's saying. Uh, he, I, I believe that was in a, a, a divorce proceeding. He said that his own lawyer has repeatedly said in public that he's a performance artist. You shouldn't take a word he says seriously. And it's like, OK, if that were if that were truly the case, if he was Art Bell, the uh, the the uh, late radio host who had his own like coast to coast national um UFO obsessed kind of show. Yeah, that was goofy stuff that didn't, you know, that, like Art, Art Bell didn't radicalize a bunch of people to treat the parents of murdered kids as though they were part of a globalist conspiracy to take everyone's guns away. Alex Jones did that, right? Alex Jones did that. And his half-assed apologies, I think, are, are worthless. And if he truly was uh, repentant for the things he'd done, he'd go away, you know? That's another thing that pisses me off because I actually do believe that people do deserve second chances, you know, in, at public figures who, who truly make a penance for the things they've done, for the people they've hurt. Alex Jones has done no such thing. And he's still being legitimized by people who, I don't know if they know better or not, but they're wrong. <laughs> and, they're, and they're making things up and they're, and they're pulling out perhaps the germ of a true statement to make a broader statement that Alex Jones is really just a harmless clown and everybody else who doesn't get that is missing out on the the massive audience that he's cultivated and they should be listening to these people that if Alex Jones is filling a a, a hole in the market then there there must be something wrong with mainstream news so that's my my big macro rant on the Alex Jones phenomenon and why I think it's good that he's going to be put under oath and and that witnesses are going to be taken to really lay out not only did he spread sadistic lies that ruined people's lives but that he continues to do so and I, I'm, I'm all for it. I think it's going to be an interesting trial. I mean the the notable thing about these trials is that Alex Jones has already lost uh, because of his various courtroom shenanigans and deceptions. The judges in both Texas and uh, Connecticut have ruled, have taken the very unusual step of sort of ruling that he's already lost and now it's just up to the jury to decide how much he's going to have to pay. So the amount it seems like it could be pretty enormous. We know in the lead up to the trial, Alex Jones was moving a lot of money out of InfoWars. Suddenly, there was this sort of holding company 
that was owed $50 million and was also uh, is owned by members of Alex Jones's family. And suddenly this company has to be paid immediately. So, oh, InfoWars is essentially bankrupt. You, I mean, obviously they did try to declare bankruptcy. The other thing, you know, speaking of the sort of the Alex Jones fans is right as this trial is starting, we've got this weirdly pro-Alex Jones movie called Alex's War that is coming out and premiered last week. It's not available to the, the general public to watch yet, so I haven't had a chance to see it. Anthony, what do you make of this? Again, I also haven't seen it, and I do try to reserve judgment even on stuff that I'm pretty sure <laughs> I got a good idea about where it's going. I did notice that there was a bunch of controversy because Glenn Greenwald appears in the in the film and you know in typical greenwaldian fashion he responded to critics by saying you have to be an imbecile to think that just because you would appear in a documentary about someone that you agree with the things that they're saying or if you're somehow endorsing those things and i think that's true like on a basic level but i also think it's there's plenty of good reason to be suspicious that that's really uh all that's happening there again i don't want to pass judgment without having seen it i don't want to pass judgment on whatever greenwald says in the film without having seen it but movies like this efforts like this seem to be a way of kind of soft selling the the alex jones legacy like he's not what you thought he was you know he's like an epic he's an epic jokester yeah you know <laughs> like like oh alex jones you're so wacky it's like king kesey and the, and the merry pranksters except right wing <laughs> Exactly. You know, all those times. Yeah. The, the, the Abby Hoffman or what have you would like go terrorize <laughs> grieving parents. You know, you mentioned Glenn Greenwald here and I should say up front, I find Glenn Greenwald to be a very tiresome character. He stinks. He's no good anymore. And that's why, you know, you just got to block him. You got to mute him and ignore him. However, he was at this premiere and he did this sort of panel with, uh, with Alex Jones. And this, you know, as, as you said, there was kind of this lead up of saying, well, you, you don't know that I'm necessarily just going to, you know, toss him a bunch of softballs. Astoundingly, one of his questions is just saying, Alex Jones, you're such a handsome guy. You know, he says, <laughs> he, I mean, you can't make it up. I mean, he says, you're such a handsome guy. You easily could have been like Anderson Cooper. I think in a different world, you could have been like a very attractive meteorologist. When I remember when I watched the film, it was just so striking, this early footage of you. And I remember when the Internet first discovered some of the early pictures of you from your public access days in Austin. I remember liberals being almost horrified, like with this cognitive dissonance, like we're supposed to look at him as a screaming, spitting monster. And yet these these pictures are disturbingly handsome um, in this like very mainstream, normal way. Um, you obviously from the beginning had a kind of charisma, a natural charisma in front of the camera. That's what people even said from the first time they saw you. And so when you combine these attributes that you had when you were young, I think you clearly had you been somebody who was willing to affirm rather than question establishment pieties could have ended up as like a meteorologist on like Good Morning America or like some Anderson Cooper type. And this is, I mean, this and sounds like I'm making it up, but it's real. Aware of that and what on earth is going on there? The other thing I, I wanted to flag about this, the premiere of this movie kind of is, I mean, we're talking about a murderer's row here. I mean, this is like, um, they, they open the asylum and let them all out. There's like a lot of people who, who kind of like Fever Dreams listeners would know who were at this event. And I think that sort of gives you the, it's sort of the tell of, of how, what this movie's approach to Alex Jones is going to turn out to be. Yeah. And there's one picture here that I, that I wanted to 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 muse over because we've got Owen Schroyer so Alex Jones lieutenant no surprise there um wearing a completely busted fit 
like a white Henley, like a velvet tuxedo jacket, I think. Midnight blue. So he's there. Hotep Jesus, who is sort of a, a lesser known figure, but has done some insanely anti-Semitic stuff. I think, you know, people can Google at the Daily Beast for uh, Hotep Jesus to find one of my earlier articles about him. I believe I kind of got him kicked out of like the Turning Point universe with that. The figure I want to highlight, you know, uh, what legends never die. They, you know, <laughs> you know, whatever. He, he, he's, he's come surging back. Carpe Donctum, the memester himself. Uh, folks may remember Carpe Donctum from a few years back. He would do edits of like, you know, he might edit Fast and the Furious 3 to, to have a particularly epic scene uh, involving like Donald Trump and uh, Mark Levin. Anthony, what's your reaction seeing Carpe Donctum back in the mix? I honestly didn't know that he had gone away. I knew it that he had been like banned from a lot of uh, social media. He got banned from Twitter and like absolutely lost his mind over it. Yeah. When he was banned, I remember that was <laughs> a lot of people who I had known on social media uh, tangentially. Uh, who had always claimed that they weren't really MAGA edgelords. They were just, they were, they just believed in free speech. When Carpe Donctum got slapped, uh, they went, they went just absolutely insane that, you know, like, you know, how, how we're criminalizing memes. We are literally one step away from North Korea. It's like, no, nobody criminalized anything. <laughs> you know, there's a whole lot of reasons between beyond just intellectual property violations. For free speech reasons, you know, I don't think we should criminalize memes. But if we do, I think these should be the first <laughs> to be criminalized because they're just so awful. Now, Anthony, in the, before we started recording, uh, you shared that you, you had a, you've had a personal encounter with Mr. Donkdom. Yeah, it was very. It was a very brief encounter. Uh, so the last reporting trip I took before uh, the pandemic, which I believe I saw you at, was uh, was CPAC in 2020, February 2020. Yeah, famously a COVID outbreak site. Yep, yep. It was uh, <laughs> I had, three days before the whole world was told to quarantine. I was told to quarantine just for having been at CPAC, even though I had no contact with the people who, t- who t- ended up testing positive. Uh, I went to. The, the shadow conventions, the name escapes me of the particular one that I was at, but all the heavy hitters were there, including Nick Fuentes, including Gavin McGinnis, including Alex Jones. At a, actually a fairly impressive uh, <laughs> open bar, I ran into Carpe Donctum, who was speaking with a, journal, a journalist that I was friendly with. Upon our introductions, he got quite haughty with me that I didn't know who he was, uh, even though he, in- he introduced himself by his given name, which is not Carpe. Please, Mr. Donctum is my father's name. Yeah, so I, I found that, like, you know, that, that really, if it illuminated anything to me, it's that in the world that these people run in, they really are superstars. They really do expect it to be recognized by their faces, which are very rarely seen on the internet. But I guess in these communities, their their images are disseminated enough. But yeah, that was a that was my one brief donctum uh, run in. A brush with celebrity. Bringing it back to the the Infowars trial here. I mean, you know, we still have a lot to go. It will be interesting, I think, to see what sort of magnitude of damages are laid down. But you know, I, I think it will be you know also sort of precedent setting it in terms of seeing how one of these trials goes now that we're finally getting one to go to trial and who knows i mean i think if it goes well for the plaintiffs we may see many more of these type of lawsuits filed i I wanted to to wind it back two minutes though because you mentioned hotep jesus which i think hotep jesus is somebody if you're a fever dreams listener you got to know this person (laughs) i'm not going to give uh his biography here but he did go fairly viral a couple of a couple of months ago uh and i actually even tweeted about it it just seemed like one of those things that truly needed to be exposed to as many people as possible uh now i want to i want to be you know fully disclosed i do not consider joe rogan to be at the level of alex jones as far as you know just being a dishonest 
scumbag. I've got plenty of criticisms of, of Joe Rogan. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a fan, I, I, but I wouldn't go so far as to say that I think he's a threat to the Republic or anything like that. But he's not very bright. And to illustrate that point is a, a clip that went viral in May where Hotep Jesus was his guest. Rogan, as he is wont to do, said, uh, I read something briefly and I didn't get into the article. And it was about Australia banning its citizens from growing its own food. Now, this was at a time when uh, Australia was dealing with its first COVID outbreak because they basically had zero COVID for the first year of the pandemic. And they had some pretty severe temporary uh, COVID restrictions, including, you know, people saying that they were setting up people in concentration camps. Again, an exaggeration. But uh, for the American right, and I guess the European right to a lesser extent, everybody was looking at Australia for a few months as like the beginning of the end of civilization. This is where the, this is where the FEMA camps were going to be set up on a global level. Uh, so Rogan read something somewhere or thought he read something somewhere about Australia banning its citizens from out from growing its own food. And you can watch in real time. It's a, it's a, it's a less than two minute clip where Rogan says this, uh, asks his trusty producer, Jamie, to look up uh, proof of it. And Jamie comes back fairly quickly and says, no, it's not real. Uh, it's just not real at all. And, uh, and Rogan's like, you can see him like just kind of disappointed in himself to his credit, being like, ah, oh, I wish I had saved it. Uh, what, maybe I read it wrong. I don't know. And Hotep Jesus, you know, the guest who had previously been sitting quietly, chimes in and says, even if it's fake, the fake is usually the warning. So even though this thing is not real, <laughs> that has no basis in fact whatsoever, it portends the horrible future that is coming. A great example of one of those, like, well, maybe it's not real, but what's twisted is what it says about society exactly. that I could think it was real. That's a good window into the world of Hotep Jesus and a window into the world of uh, Joe Rogan's uh, fact-checking of himself. Okay, Anthony, who do we have this week on the podcast? Uh, we have a very interesting internet character who goes by the pseudo name Ina. She's a graphic artist. She's a podcaster. She's a blogger. Uh, her blog is Nice Mangoes. Her podcast is Polite Conversations, an, an ironic title because she's rather profane and rather frank. A big passion of hers has been following and deconstructing the intellectual dark web. She's one of my intellectual dark web go-to experts. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. So we're now joined by the podcaster, blogger, graphic artist known as Ina, who hosts the podcast Polite Conversations and is one of my go-to IDW experts on Twitter. Ina, thank you so much for joining us on Fever Dreams. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I'm honored. I recently wrote a piece for the Daily Beast where I just went right after it. And the headline is, Grifter really is the only word to use for Jordan Peterson. My take basically is, is that I do believe that Grifter is overused by political adversaries to other political adversaries who've started becoming financially prosperous or publicly influential. So Jordan Peterson came to public uh, awareness in 2016, I believe, when he came out in opposition in a series of viral videos to a Canadian bill 
that treated intentional misgendering, repeated misgendering in the workplace or academia as a form of harassment. Jordan Peterson misinterpreted that bill as that people would be compelled by law and, and criminal sanctions to call people by their preferred pronouns. It wasn't true then. It's not true six years later. But that's how he became famous was through a series of videos uh, ranting about that. And in the six years since, the intellectual dark web got its famous slash infamous profile in the New York Times. And he's considered one of the leading intellectuals of the right after, after all that. And in recent uh, weeks, he has found himself suspended by Twitter, which he has called a ban because he will not delete a tweet where he referred to Elliot Page by his dead name and also called the doctors who performed the transaffirming surgery on Elliot Page uh, as criminals. That's why we're talking about Jordan Peterson today. So I, I know what, what do you make of Jordan Peterson's new heel turn? If you can call it that. <laughs> yeah, as as uh, I was discussing with Anthony a little bit before, I don't entirely think it's a heel turn because I think he was always a little bit fashy, but he certainly was pretending a bit more like he would always say, like, I have nothing against referring to people with their chosen pronouns. I just, you know, want to oppose this compelled speech component. But now he's certainly dropped all that and he's happy to be a full-on open fascist. He's even complaining about the anti-conversion therapy laws and bills. He's complained and said that that should be between a doctor and their patient. Like you cannot get more blatantly bigoted than that, where you are so pro-conversion therapy that you're willing to advocate for it publicly in 2022. I would also add to that, that way back when Jordan Peterson was asked directly whether or not he supported gay marriage, because his whole shtick was that he's a live and let live kind of person. He, right. there's, a, there's a famous video of him literally sobbing over uh, an <laughs> Ayn Rand passage and talking about the, the primacy of the individual. Though he's built his thing on the primacy of the individual, he's doesn't feel that trans people should be able to live the lives that they in the way that they see fit. And he even hedged on gay marriage by saying he'd like to support it, but the cultural Marxists support it. So he can't. (laughs) I mean, like, and this not only is this a grown man, this is a public intellectual like that is such a childish way of looking at things. It, it, it's, it's the, you know, the, many people describe real politic as the enemy of my enemy is my friend. In this case, the guy is saying, well, I have principles, but the bad people share those principles. So I can't <laughs> you know express these things. Which is so typical of the IDW, right? Like that's how they, they always are. They're hypocrites in almost every value that they claim to be holding. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Can you, can you name names? Yeah. Like I'm known as a heresologist primarily. Uh, recently, I have been called upon quite a bit for my Peterson knowledge. When you say a Harrisologist, what do you mean by that? <laughs> I mean, I specialize in the rhetorical tricks and analyzing and breaking down of Sam Harris specifically. Who you were once a fan of, right? Yes, exactly. So I am an ex-Muslim. I grew up in Saudi Arabia. Growing up in a theocracy as you know, a woman being forced by the state to cover up in a black cloak and encountering literal morality police can leave you kind of vulnerable to sort of reactionary movements, I think, especially if they're anti-religion. 
So it took me a couple of years to get my bearings on that and understand that really they are not as progressive or, you know, pro-women's rights as they claim to be. In fact, they're all anti-feminist and uh, complaining about Me Too in this concern troll kind of way. Like, of course, of course, Me Too is good as a general thing, but it's gone too far now. Like everything they did had gone too far. Right. Though they had consistently portrayed themselves as social liberals uh, who merely objected to cancellations or over speech policing, they truly, you know, repeatedly would say, well, I voted for Bernie Sanders and I'm pro-choice and I'm anti-death penalty, right. uh, which, I, which I found you know, fascinating, particularly, you know, again, we are both Dave Rubinologists. Yes, yes. <laughs> for years, the guy would get viscerally angry and, and defensive and even also threaten lawsuits when people described him as a right winger. Exactly. And he would always lean on I'm gay married, I'm pro-choice, I'm anti-death penalty. Yeah. In the last few weeks of Trump's administration, the federal government went on an unprecedented spate of executions. Not even George W. Bush executed as many people on a federal level as Donald Trump's administration did in the last month of his presidency. And the anti-death penalty liberals of the IDW didn't say a word, right? Roe v. Wade, just a, you know, a, year and a year and a half later, has exactly. been overturned. None of them have said a word, although I did see Eric Weinstein say he warned against violent protests, which there have been none, and, and then also said he doesn't believe that we're going to be going back to back alley abortions, but we should find a way to work this out. That's some anger coming, this righteous anger coming from the liberal pro-choice movement. And Sam Harris has done the whole, well, well of course, there's criticism of the Dem Democrats, absolutely valid criticism, but that is basically all that Sam Harris engages with, that this is... Let's blame the Democrats and let's talk about that. Oh, yeah, Republicans, whatever. So I guess I would, I would, I'd love to know from you, from your perspective, having really taken the long ride with the IDW, <laughs> having been, you know, having been a Sam Harris fan, you know, I'm sure tangentially uh, the, the new atheist movement appealed to you as, a, as an yeah. ex-Muslim. And going from that to the rise of Trump to the IDW kind of becoming a mainstream thing, at least an internet phenomenon, you know, they all have popular podcasts and, you know, some of them have huge mainstream platforms like Ben Shapiro. After this many year journey, what is your macro take on the IDW as it stands today? I would say it's a very shallow and empty movement, if you can even call it that. They recognize it themselves, what a joke it is. And so they very quickly after they coined the term, they themselves started to distance themselves from it and say like, oh, well, you know, it was meant to be kind of cringe. Oh, no, it wasn't serious at all. Like <laughs> just because everybody yeah. made fun of them so, so much. I, I remember actually this this has always been kind of an underrated uh, IDW factoid, but basically the only people that really ran with it were the Weinstein brothers. And Dave Rubin. Everybody else immediately was like, ha, ha, you know. Do you all think it's cringe? I think it's kind of cool. It's kind of a cool, cool, badass name. I feel like they've done it wrong, though. Eric Weinstein put out a video shortly after this because Sam Harris and, and other people were saying it was a tongue-in-cheek joke that he said on my podcast. It wasn't supposed to stick. And then Eric Weinstein put out a half-hour-long video of him just <laughs> talking to the camera. Uh, talking about how he came up with the IDW name, and you know, and he and he starts talking in his ponderous, you know, uh, 
mathematical equation style of speech where, you know, he's saying it's a name that was deliberately meant to provoke people because then they write about you. And like Gandhi said, first they laugh at you, then you win. You know, it was on and on and on about this thing that was supposedly just a joke, just a tongue in cheek thing was a carefully orchestrated, you know, uh, mathematically brilliant plan. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And to be fair, even Sam Harris in the very early days, like he would do things like tweet this, these like cringe charts that were so stupidly made where it would list all the different IDW members and kind of try to frame them all as socially oh. liberal or progressive. <laughs> and it would be like pro-choice green square. Yes. You know, uh, pro uh, legalization of weed. Yes. Green square pro gay marriage. Yes. And even with Ben Shapiro, they tried to portray him as <laughs> liberal and Sam Harris tweeted this ridiculous chart, like as completely legitimate scientific analysis of the IDW. So none of these guys are really even a fraction as smart as people that are in their audience like to think they are. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's fair to say that a few of them have a deep but narrow knowledge base on certain things, but sure. because they, because they might be, because Eric Weinstein might be a talented mathematician, and I don't even know if he is, but if he mm. say that he is, that doesn't mean that he knows a goddamn thing about politics. And it doesn't mean <laughs> that he's, you know, got a coherent philosophy or that he should be listened to opining on the sociopolitical crises of our era. My personal take on, on where the IDW stands right now is that even though you know, Sam Harris literally, to his credit, uh, went on a long rant where he said, I'm turning in my fake IDW card. Like, uh, that was so, like, for his own benefit, though. It's only because he was embarrassed. Perhaps, but he did it. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to give him a little credit for, for doing it, and, but, and, and I'll give him less credit for not being more specific about why he was doing it. Yeah. He basically said it was about the anti-vax stuff and the big lies stuff. Yeah. Do, do you think he just wanted to distance himself from it because it had become a bad look? Yes, that's the only reason, because otherwise he was always defending these guys. He was on my podcast in 2016, I believe, when the Dave Rubin concerns were really just beginning. And that's when Sam Harris used to fund Dave Rubin on Patreon. Sam Harris had appeared on his first ever uh, show, like help launch him basically. And I think this was the first time that Sam was in a situation where he was actually being questioned about these types of associations with far right white identity politics enthusiast, Douglas Murray as well. And it was just excuse after excuse. Like Sam Harris is known for his typical Oh, I don't know enough about that guy to to disassociate from them. Yet I will continue to promote them, defend them, use my platform. You know, I I could give you like such a long list of people he's ridiculous people he's, you know, stuck his neck out for just to to step in and defend them. Like including people like Lauren Southern, who mm-hmm. he once threatened to quit Patreon over, he did not ultimately. Um, but he did decide that it was worthy of him putting out an episode saying that, oh, this poor conservative journalist is being targeted by Patreon. Conservative journalist. Yeah, way to minimize. And then he did ultimately quit over Sargon of Akkad being deplatformed from Patreon. So, so, Ina, where does the intellectual dark web find itself in 2022 compared to, let's say, where it was in 2018 when Barry Weiss wrote the New York Times story sort of uh, that I think helped popularize the idea of the intellectual dark web? I mean, it sort of seems like, um, from what Anthony's saying, it sort of seems like a lot of them are being sort of absorbed into the broader conservative establishment. I feel like Tim Pool has sort of lost any, any pretension to be a liberal. Um, obviously, Jordan Peterson working for Ben Shapiro now. Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, I think that at one time they had more plausible deniability to claim, you know, that they were socially liberal, but now they have no such thing. And so they're probably in a position where they either have to branch out and just individually continue spreading those types of stupid ideas or just search for some kind of rebrand. The best thing the term IDW that was useful for was just to group this kind of anti-left, anti-woke, hypocritical sort of movement that seemed to claim that it was so solidly for freedom of speech. And they absolutely are not. When real cases of the right um, threatening free speech happen, they are nowhere to be found. Right. I mean, and, you know, let's talk about, you know, Dave Rubin might as well be working for Ron DeSantis's campaign with the oh, amount yeah. of personal appearances he's done with him. Um, you know, to, to rattle off just a quick list of the of the the stars, Majid Nawaz uh, <laughs> is now a full on, anti, not only an anti-vaxxer, but a big lie guy and another guy who Basically sues people. Basically Alex Jones. Yeah, but, but also another free speech warrior who sues people who yeah, writes yeah, things yeah. that are true about him. Absolutely. Brett Weinstein is an absolute leader in the anti-vax movement, making a, like he's basically you know Robert Kennedy Jr. you know with a with a podcast. He's a full-on anti-vaxer. I haven't seen him like go socially conservative, but because he's basically because he's been so myopically focused at spreading uh, just lies about the dangers of the COVID vaccines. I'd be remiss if we didn't mention another IDW fellow traveler, James Lindsay, who mm. came to who came to fame as one of the three authors of the so-called squared hoax, which is where they submitted a bunch of fake academic studies to mostly to pay to play academic journals to prove how ridiculous academia was that they would publish just nonsense, woke gobbledygook. That's how he came to fame. Yeah. He's now probably one of the most responsible people for spreading the okay groomer uh, trope on, on the internet right now. And yeah. And the CRT stuff too. And you can just see like where the um, new atheist movement was headed is that now James Lindsay is teaming up with Chris Rufo, who's a creationist and, you know, their main goal is to own the libs in every possible way. Do Richard Dawkins, similarly, has uh, promoted evangelical events that begin with a prayer uh, just to own the libs. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, to your point, though, you, you were talking about the, they don't criticize the actual threats to free speech from the right. Lindsay and Rufo, they've been the brain trust behind literal laws that have been passed, you yeah. know, the, uh, but critical race theory bans, divisive topic bans. And now we're at the point where, you know, Trump is talking about Marxist groomer teachers in his speeches just last week. I mean, this stuff has stuck. And, it, and as I've said before on this podcast, it has its roots in the IDW. Yeah, which has its roots in new atheism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I come at this from like an interesting perspective, I think, because I got to see firsthand how they treated like what they claimed was an issue of Muslim immigration. Right. And they used to say things like, well, we can't let too many Muslims in here because they're so homophobic and right. we're, we're so against that. We, you know, in the West have gotten past these things and we simply will not tolerate that at all. So therefore we cannot trust, you know, too many Muslims to be in here. Any one of them could be an extremist. It doesn't matter that these are all individual people with different views. Just as a whole group, we're not interested in having too many Muslims in our society because we are so anti-homophobia. And yet now, when we see that uh, homophobia is resurfacing in such a 
dangerous and terrifying way currently, none of them are using their platforms, their very influential platforms to push back on it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, taking this back to Anthony's article about Jordan Peterson, it sort of seems to me like Jordan Peterson is going is really having one of his like going through it moments. Um, you, you know, I, I, obviously, I think the last of these lasted you know a year to eighteen months when he, you know, went on the all beef diet, tried to kick benzos, disappeared into Eastern Europe, Eastern European sanatoriums <laughs> for periods of time, had his daughter, you know. Uh, hanging out with this with a- Andrew Tate, who folks may remember his house being raided as part of a Romanian sex trafficking investigation. So now, then he kind of came back to the U.S. There, or excuse me, he maybe came back to Canada. There were a lot of unanswered questions I felt about that, but then he kind of kept a low profile for maybe a year, and then it seems like he's back in it, and it sort of seems like he kicked things off by uh, complaining that one of the Sports Illustrated <laughs> swimsuit models a little too heavy for him. And, you know, oh, you know, there was a lot of tears over, like, the end of the concept of classical beauty and stuff. And then now, you know, I, I guess he's doing this in, this Daily Wire thing, and he's putting out these videos where he's saying, like, you know, Muslims get a, you know, Shiite Muslims get a Sunni pen pal, and then get a <laughs> yeah. Jewish pen pal and stuff so i mean what is going on am i wrong to feel that we're in sort of the the new phase i just think he's uh become less guarded about what he's always been like i don't think any of this is new remember when he did the interview with vice uh questioning whether men and women can actually work together or not Mm -hmm. and whether women should be wearing makeup to work because they're hypocrites if they don't want to be sexually harassed. So that's when he gained a lot of like hardline Salafist um, Muslims, like very, very far right types who use him as a way to legitimize their extreme views, like gender segregation. I've done an episode on like the presence of the IDW in Pakistan and Saudi Arabia and the impact that that's had. I mean, granted, it's from 2019, so it's probably worse now. But like so many people from Pakistan reached out to me saying that their family members are trying to use Jordan Peterson to justify their misogynistic viewpoints. That's fascinating. I I, I only recently learned about the the, the popularity of Jordan Peterson, Peterson in uh, Muslim circles. Yeah, it is terrifying because he's breathed like new life into their trad life views, right? Because a lot of the younger crowd might be like thinking that, oh, the West is more progressive. So if they have someone from the West to point to that has like seriously prehistoric views, then they're like, oh, well, maybe my Salafi mullah is not so bad after all. You know, he's using Jordan Peterson lectures in the mosque. And that's why Jordan Peterson uh, addressed Muslims, I think, in such a ridiculous and condescending way. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And it's really interesting because he has been such a an open Islamophobe too, right? Like he's had that picture that circulated after the Christchurch shooting um, where he's taken a photo with a guy that said like, proud, proud to be an Islamophobe. And he's had various like odd video clips that circulated where he said that feminists crave brutal male domination and therefore something, something. He linked it to Islam. I can't remember. It was a few years ago. Like A big part of 
what he's been talking about lately is moral degeneracy. Mm. And he keeps, and he keeps citing like, you know, very early Christian mythology. Yeah. And he even put out a video, you know, this, which, you know, I'm sure some of his super fans will say is taken out of context. It is not, it can't possibly be taken out of context where he basically blames Ukraine and the West for its moral degeneracy into provoking Vladimir Putin to, you know, commit, you know, attempt a genocide. I'll say it, you know, like the, it's literally the fact that we are t- too socially tolerant to ge- degeneracy that Putin launched a war of aggression. Like, these are just Nazi talking points. Right. <laughs> yeah. You made me do it. <laughs> so as we, as we close up here, you know, I'm curious, you know, if I could get one prediction from each of you about the future of the intellectual dark web in the next year. Uh, Anthony, you want to make any predictions? I think they're going to all continue to thrive. I don't think, I don't think any of them are going to have a, uh, a collapse of their business model. I think that they've, they've, they've tapped into their niche and it's going to grow. I know. Let's get your take. I hesitate to have a specific intellectual dark web uh, prediction because they don't really exist as a group anymore. Well, p- pick one of your characters. Yeah, like uh, d- 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 just shoot from the hip. Mm. Mm, my character would be Sam Harris, and I think he will continue to prop up the right and punch left no matter how fashy the right gets and no matter how theocratic it gets. And the irony of uh, you know, one of the new atheist horsemen just being absolutely useless in this fight against Republican theocracy and Christian nationalism is just, yeah, that would be my prediction. Continuing to be useless. Ina, thanks so much for joining us. Your expertise on the IDW is always welcomed. And everybody, Fever Dreams listeners, please listen to Ina's podcast, Polite Conversations. And Ina, where, the, where can they follow you on Twitter? I'm at Nice Mangoes, no E in mangoes on Twitter. Great. And uh, thank you so much for having me. It is uh, an honor to be speaking to you as an IDW expert. And <laughs> if people are interested in polite conversations, I do a very specific mini series on Sam Harris that is called Woking Up, which is found on the same feed. So yeah, check that out too. And that's a play on Sam's podcast, which is called Waking Up. Used to be called Waking Up, but now it's called Making Sense. Oh, Equally yeah. cringe. Both. <laughs> Again, thanks so much for joining us, Ida. Thank you for having me. We've now reached the point on this particular dispatch of fever dreams to fresh hell. Will, what is today's fresh hell? Yeah, okay. So so this week, you know, I want to highlight something that is sort of a QAnon adjacent scam. I should say it's not that that widespread. It's been getting picked up by like various conspiracy theory, theorists on Telegram. But I thought it was so clever and and the the kind of the scam in it is is so uh was so interesting to me that that i couldn't resist bringing it up here okay so here's the setup so it's called oculum labs the gist is that the folks at oculum labs who are a bunch of hackers they have discovered that the new world order is soon to implement you know what they call the great reset i mean this is the big thing now anthony you've heard of the great reset oh i I have i signed the petition yeah yeah So, so so this is the thing that is you know is kind of all in with the world economic forum they think it's essentially going to enslave the vast majority of humanity maybe kill a bunch of us off uh according to the the georgia guidestones so these hackers at oculum labs they claim well the new world order has a computer that is sort of has categorized every person in the world and it it figures out what your place is going to be in the great reset and so the vast majority of people are going to be common and you're going to you know 
work some kind of drudgery, you know, you're going to have nothing, uh, as the World Economic Forum once said. And so, and then, you know, there's going to be people who are really like the brave folks. They're going to be the quarantined people and they're going to be, you know, just in the prison or what have you. And then finally, we have the sovereigns. Now, normally in, you know, you might think of sovereign citizens, you might think of, you know, who, what people on the far right might think of as the good guys. But in this case, sovereigns are more like kind of members of the Davos set. These are the, the people who astride the world and are going to have essentially limitless amounts of money once the Great Reset happens. Now, so so this is kind of the setup for this scam. And then they say, but here's the good news. We can hack into that New World Order computer and change the the database for you. And we can make it so that it says Anthony Fisher. Well, he he was a common. He was going to be eating the bugs and living in a pod. <laughs> but now he's a sovereign and he's going to get a yacht or whatever. And so, so Anthony, I mean, does this appeal to you? It's a religion, really, right? You know, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a belief in something without proof. It's faith. You know, I understand the appeal of such a thing, but this this stuff just exasperates me. Like that 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 uh, the 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 belief in a in a system that works so perfectly from such from from top down. I don't know. I guess I guess people just need to believe in something. Well, so what I found fascinating about this is that then you know I mean they they make this they prove this by having a couple screenshots where they write like George Soros mm-hmm. yeah. sovereign unlimited bank account and so you know when they say oh the great reset's gonna happen in a couple months to maybe at most a couple years don't you want to get in with us and uh and get yourself changed to sovereign and so they have this guy's testimonial about how he basically paid the hackers and here's the clever part about it so they say well the thing is you know these sneaks at the new world order you need to contribute a little money to your sovereign bank account first and then it'll multiply from there but here's the thing you probably don't want to send us just like a bank transfer or anything mm-hmm. probably best to just send us bitcoin you know what untraceable <laughs> bitcoin <laughs> and so this guy says you know i couldn't use a bank wire or anything like that because the personal deal details for my bank account with my real name might not not, not line up it's too risky the crypto is much safer to send and then he says oh well i spent five thousand dollars in bitcoin and then it turned into two hundred thousand dollars in bitcoin a day later so you can see how people might look at this and they're like oh man i gotta send a bunch of money to this thing i'm gonna get super rich it's not like you know not unlike you know many of these kind of QAnon related scams like the iraqi dinar or nasera which we talked about on a recent podcast whenever you're looking at these things it's kind of like all right where's the rubber hitting the road here where's the part where the mark is going to get out their checkbook i want to put something to you here is there anything to any of this are they is it all just fake screen grabs and and just complete you know bananas you know pulling things out of whole cloth or, or is there a single like germ of truth that they've built this whole thing around it's totally fake they're building it off of the the great reset stuff right and so they they're saying well, you know, we have this World Economic Forum article from a few years ago that says you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. And then they they kind of blow this up into this is the big global plot. <laughs> There's one more thing I wanted to highlight about this little scam, because I think this is also really clever. The aspect of, you know, who's a sovereign, who's a quarantined person, whatever. So sort of in this universe, anyone who's quarantined is you know, they're kind of like a brave freedom fighter. And anyone who's a sovereign is is either a, a witting or unwitting or sort of a known or unknown agent of the cabal. And so, for example, 
So, so this this gives you a tactic in which they can sort of discredit people who are saying this is a scam by saying, well, we looked you up in the database. You're a sovereign. You know? <laughs> and so they say, well, here's – okay, he, 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 we've released uh, some new bank accounts. Uh, and people are always clamoring. They're saying, can you look up uh, – you know, can you look up uh, uh, Sean Hannity and mm-hmm. see what he is? Mm-hmm. And so they say, well, we looked up Alex Jones in the computer. And, and the thing to understand is that for a lot of people who are kind of further along on the conspiracy line like QAnon people they think alex jones is a controlled opposition right they think he's a he's a plant for the government and so these folks say oh alex jones he's a sovereign how heartbreaking or they say uh you know call joseph watson i'm looking at this thing (laughs) right exactly they say he's a sovereign too right for the uninitiated paul joseph watson was like one of alex jones's kind of sidekick types who who went even like more anti-new world order and uh yeah according to this oculum labs thing that uh one of the guys says Unbelievable. How can he be a sovereign? And the other guy says, he must be leaving out key details. I don't watch him, but he must be doing something they want. It's like, what? Awesome. Yes, I mean it's it's really great. They've kind of created this whole play, and then you know it, it, that also has the benefit of you know you discredit your rivals in the conspiracy theory right. world yeah. and say you can only trust me. By the way, the cabal's getting suspicious. Send me another five grand. What I also thought was interesting was that they could like let's say there's someone who is sort of unpeach- unimpeachable on the right, and the example here is James O'Keefe, who's really sort of beloved by everyone. And they say, well, we looked him up. And look, yeah, he's quarantined. He's a good guy. You know, you can trust James O'Keefe. I just wanted to highlight this. I feel like this is just a little jewel that I found in my internet perusings. Yeah, it's just fantastic. I mean, I just, I'm just still scrolling down. This is going to take me all day, Will. You just like, shot my day. I'm not going to get any work done. But Bolsonaro is in here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They say Bolsonaro's, uh, he's uh, restricted. Uh, quarantined, right? Oh, restricted. Yeah, exactly. And so it is always interesting seeing who like this person who's putting it together, like who they they think is cool and who's not. I guess they're a Bolsonaro fan. It's always interesting when when you sort of figure out where the grift comes in, and and, and it, it, this is a great example of people who have figured out how to capitalize on the Great Reset. Yeah, they've distinguished themselves from the competition in the open market by adding this extra level to the grift, which is to go after some batshit people to say this is this is how real keeping we are. We're going to even go after people that uh, are nominally our allies. But then, as you said, they sprinkle breadcrumbs in of, of people that they are protecting that they really like, like Bolsonaro here. One of the interview subjects reaction to seeing Bolsonaro as a restricted account is I'm happy to hear it. I really like him. We can trust him. What do you think they'll do to him? <laughs> <laughs> it's really I mean, it, it, they definitely put some effort in. You know, they don't always put effort in, but but I think in this one they yeah. did. And you can join him for only a couple Bitcoin. On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some amazing guests at The Daily Beast and beyond, from politics to popular culture. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcast app and share the show on social media and at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer and Kelly is at Kelly Weil. That's W-E-I-L-L. Come say hi. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian Demeglio. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com.